A cyclist hit by a car on a bike route. How am I on the hook for getting hit by a car? Like, it's it just so nonsensical. Why ICBC is sending him the bill. Homophobic attack. There's bruising all right here down on my cheekbone. The young victim and what he says about the people who jumped him. And the fight over SkyTrain to UBC. From an equity standpoint, it's really important to see more housing on the west side. The dispute over density that could stall the project. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Those stories for you in just a moment. But we begin tonight with what could be a transformative day on the path to reconciliation with First Nations. Promises made at both the provincial and federal level to elevate and protect the rights of Indigenous people to self-determination. Kamal Kuramali is live in Williams Lake Forest where the Prime Minister faced the brutal reality of the residential school system today, Kamal. Chris, the discovery of possible unmarked graves here at St. Joseph's Mission Residential School happened back in January. The First Nation had invited Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to visit back then. It took him two full months to actually make his way here. Some critical of that delay. This is a meeting a long time coming. Williams Lake First Nation elders residential school survivors sharing their stories on how Canada has failed them Thank you for your incredible strength to the person who holds the highest power in the country. It's uh, really hard not to get emotional on days like this. It was two months ago. Williams Lake First Nation discovered 93 reflections using ground penetrating radar, indicating potential unmarked graves at the former site of the St. Joseph's Mission Residential School. I'll never get over it. I'll never forget it. Frank Robbins was sent to the school in 1960 at the age of five. He says he was physically and sexually assaulted. At night when we were in our in our in our beds you know things happen us things not nice things and we were just we were like i say we were five six seven year olds he says no amount of apologies or funding will help him heal right now i'm feeling anger you know i'm feeling anger and uh, i'm getting frustrated but it's something that may help their community instead. After emerging from a closed-door meeting with the survivors, Trudeau announced $2.9 million towards families who had children attend St. Joseph's Mission. There will be more phases and more funding to come, but right now the focus on uh, documenting and finding the truth. Adding to the $1.4 million already allocated to uncovering burial sites. And as the Williams Lake First Nation took their guests on a somber walk along the former residential school site, a reminder there's still a lot more work to be done. So that we can move forward and expedite the healing process of First Nations people in this country. Now, speaking of that work, there has only been 14 hectares of this land investigated for possible unmarked graves. There is more than 450 hectares left to investigate. Back over to you. Long way to go there and at other spots. Kamal Karamali, thanks very much. Kamal and Williams Lake tonight. Now, we understand these stories might be triggering for our viewers and there is support available 
for survivors and their families. The number is toll-free. It's 24 hours a day, and you can speak in confidence at 1-800-721-0066. And the provincial government today unveiled an historic action plan that it says will create a better province for Indigenous peoples. Let's bring in our Keith Baldry for more on that development. And Keith, there are 89 specific actions announced today that are aimed at driving the change. Yeah, pretty uh, historic day over here at the BC Legislature today, Sophie. So when the uh, United Nations Declaration on Indigenous Peoples' Rights uh, was enshrined in the BC law two years ago, it was a little unclear how was it going to work on the ground. Well, today we got a pretty good indication. This is the action plan, 89 specific actions designed to strengthen First Nations' rights, but also to improve better access to better health care, better education, and allow them a bigger part of the economic benefits that flow from things that occur on land they claim as their own. A number of First Nations leaders were on hand today for the announcement uh, in various quarters. One of them was Chief Lydia Whitsum of the Cowichan tribe. She says there's going to be obstacles and stumbles ahead, but it's something that has to be done. As we go forward, yes, there's going to be pitfalls, but it's our job to work together to avoid them. And part of that is about recognizing the inherent right of Indigenous people to be self-determining. And this is such an incredible opportunity to work together towards that. So without question, pitfalls, but We've seen them all already. You know, we have to go forward in a better way. Now, the government's going to have to report back every year of the progress made of all 89 action items here. In about five years is the anticipated time frame to get many of them accomplished. Some of them have already been accomplished, but it's a historic moment, historic document, and it has profound implications all through B.C. All right, thanks for that, Keith. Parents and students at a Vancouver secondary school are being warned about an incident police are now investigating. Ramina Dea is live outside Vancouver Technical High School with more on this. Ramina, it's a bit mysterious because police are calling this mm -hmm. a sensitive case. They are, Chris. They are calling it a suspicious incident. It happened adjacent to Vantech Secondary on Monday afternoon. Now, Global News has learned that there were several students who witnessed a female student in an RV which was parked next to the school on Slocan Street. The students did the right thing. They called police. The VPD, however, not commenting today on specific details because they say they are still investigating to find out exactly what happened. Here Sergeant Steve Addison. We received a, a phone call about uh, a young person who was possibly uh, in distress and in a dangerous situation outside the school. So our officers responded and we did locate a female who we believe at the time was in a bit of a dangerous situation. Now, anxious parents have reached out to us wondering what happened. Uh, how concerned should they be? They're frustrated with a lack of answers from the school. They say they received a vague email from the principal basically outlining some safety tips for students, talking about walking in groups, avoid talking to people you don't know, and tell a trusted adult if you feel uncomfortable with the situation. Now, we tried to get an on-camera interview with the Vancouver School Board on this very serious matter, but we were told no one was available. The police are telling us that no charges have been laid. We heard from the city of Vancouver as well on this matter. Um, there are no RVs parked here today. The city of Vancouver saying that they asked everybody to vacate last night, given the situation. Parents are telling us that they're wondering what took so long. Back to you. All right, Ramina Dea in Vancouver. Thanks, Ramina.
Vancouver Island University student is recovering after being assaulted at an off-campus party last weekend, one which he firmly believes was rooted in homophobia. The incident is being investigated as a possible hate crime, and the victim is speaking up now to help others. Kylie Stanton has the story. This is my eye. Still bloodshot, still swollen. There's bruising all right here down on my cheekbone. It's an improvement from just three days ago, but these injuries only tell a part of the story. I always thought like, and like, I can never get punched. I see it in the news, but like, I'm never going to like, but it happened. Late Saturday night, Spencer Fry was at a house party here on Old Slope Road in Nanaimo. He says he was only there a few minutes when another guest approached him. And then he proceeds to call me um, the F slur. The 19-year-old says he walked away, making his way upstairs with his friends. He says they noticed a shift in the atmosphere and decided to leave. But it was too late. Some kid um, taps on me and says, you've been looking at me all night. And then I go... Um, no one's been, like, I've not been looking at you. Nobody's been looking at you. And then that's all I remember, because then I get punched in my, like, temple right here. Things escalated from there, with others allegedly joining in the beating. Fry was later treated at Nanaimo Regional General Hospital and contacted Nanaimo RCMP. Constable Gary O'Brien has since confirmed the investigation is being treated as a possible hate crime. And a 19-year-old man has now been arrested on one count of assault. He actually turned himself into their detachment. He was released on conditions and his court date is set for May 24th of this year. But that's not bringing comfort to Nanaimo's LGBTQ plus community, who call the incident deeply disturbing. I'm appalled that this is actually happening in our city. Saddened, disgusted. And the mayor is weighing in as well. This is not the Nanaimo that I think uh, most people believe exists in, in our community. In a statement, Vancouver Island University writes, we are committed to creating a space where all are welcome and feel like they belong. There's a small bruise right here. But Fry has no plans to return. In fact, he's packed up his residence and will be finishing the rest of his semester online. And speaking of education, well, that's exactly why Fry is speaking out. I want other people to like know that it is like still a real thing, homophobia. Kylie Stanton, Global News. A woman accused of posing as a nurse in both B.C. and Ontario made an apology to her victims at her sentencing hearing in an Ottawa courtroom today. Bridget Clarue appeared in person wearing a black shirt and mask. When the judge asked if she had anything to say, she said, truly, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hurt anybody. Clarue pleaded guilty on seven counts related to the Ontario charges, including impersonating a real nurse from B.C. and assault with a weapon for administering needles to 12 patients. The Crown is seeking consecutive sentences totaling 10 years. Clarue's defense is arguing four to five years would be more appropriate. In B.C., there is an ongoing class action for patients who allege to have been treated by Clarue at B.C. Women's Hospital. This is someone with a, a pattern of behavior. So while the outcome of criminal proceedings in Ottawa, for example, is not going to play a significant role, certainly her conduct in other jurisdictions is, is relevant to her conduct here. 
In B.C., a criminal investigation into Clarou's alleged actions is still ongoing. In Ontario, a sentencing decision is expected to be handed down April 22nd. Yesterday, Global News brought you the story of B.C. municipalities forced to cough up millions in retroactive pay for RCMP officers after their new collective bargaining deal. Today, both the provincial and federal public safety ministers are responding to the backlash, with B.C.'s Mike Farnworth saying the bills should not be a surprise. Catherine Urquhart reports. Members of the RCMP are receiving hundreds of millions of dollars in retroactive pay dating back to 2017, the result of negotiating a first collective agreement. Now, massive bills are being handed to local governments. There's going to be a, a retroactive payment of about 9 to $10 million, uh, and that goes back to 2017. Surrey, home to Canada's largest municipal RCMP force, is expected to pay out a staggering $46.62 million. The Union of BC Municipalities has been calling on the federal government to absorb retro costs, noting they weren't involved in negotiations. In Ottawa Wednesday, Global News asked Canada's Minister of Public Safety, Will the federal government help municipalities? The short answer is is yes. We're working very closely with municipalities uh, as well as with um, provincial governments uh, who contract the RCMP as the police of jurisdiction. No details were provided. In response, the Union of BC Municipalities told Global News the minister does not appear to be saying anything new or substantive. And there was this from BC's public safety minister. Local government has been working uh, uh, on this issue. Uh, They have known that these costs have been coming uh, for a number of years. Retroactive pay is owed to approximately 6,600 Mounties in BC. Whether that money is delivered by local government or the feds, ultimately it will come from taxpayers. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A cyclist asked to pay thousands for a collision he says he didn't cause. Despite his injuries, YICBC says he owes thousands for damage to the car. That's in just over a minute. BC back in the conversation to host soccer games for 2026 World Cup. Why the flip-flop could pay off big time. Also tonight, having a ball. The Indigenous basketball team that's more like a family coming up. Right now, though, a Vancouver cyclist injured in a collision with a vehicle was shocked to receive a bill for thousands of dollars from ICBC. He's being charged to repair the car that hit him. Now, if you think that sounds ridiculous, imagine how he feels. Kristen Robinson shows us why it happened. There were literally 10 pieces of windshield pulled from my shoulder. Battered and broken, his bike snapped in half. Ben Bolliger was thrown 14 meters when he says a driver ran a stop sign and hit him last July. My hand was broken. I have a metal plate in here now. But the final crush, he says, was the bill he received eight months into his recovery. It adds insult to injury. Literally adds insult to injury. A letter from ICBC. Dear Benjamin. States the cyclist was driving an uninsured vehicle at the time and must pay more than $3,700 for the insured driver's repair claim. It's a punch in the gut. It really is a punch in the gut. How am I on the hook for getting hit by a car? When ICBC makes an allegation that somebody 
owes them money. They're not the judge, jury, executioner. Even with no fault insurance, personal injury lawyer Eric McGrecken says fault still matters when it comes to determining who pays the deductible on property and vehicle damage claims. And a cyclist run over by a vehicle running stop sign, if that's what happened, is not responsible for any of the property damage. If a party is assessed as partially responsible for a claim, ICBC says they could be responsible for some of the damages to the vehicle. This process hasn't changed with enhanced care. It's clear that the wrong people are being targeted by this legislation. Lawyer Kyla Lee says cases like Bollinger's are becoming more common now that cyclists and other uninsured individuals have no ability to sue ICBC or drivers when they're injured. It gives ICBC all the power. And what we see when ICBC has the power is they try and get as much money from people as they can and save themselves from paying out as much money as they can when it comes to a claim. I have asked uh, ICBC to, uh, to look into uh, this particular case. Bolliger, who will never regain full motion in his right hand, feels he's already paid the price. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Just ahead, another travel nightmare ends. It was like just hitting a stone wall over and over again. A cancer patient fights the airline and credit card company when he was forced to delay a flight. How Consumer Matters helps. And Vancouver City Council supports the UBC subway extension, but there's one piece of the puzzle still missing. Traffic is in good shape both ways tonight along Highway 1 through Vancouver and Burnaby with just some minor congestion at merge points like Willingdon and Kensington. Start a career in the insurance in insurance or take the insurance career to the next level by joining the growing Sussex Insurance team. Apply or learn more at sussexinsurance.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. A new plan has been approved for a SkyTrain extension to UBC, but not everyone is excited. The line would be the first form of rapid transit on Vancouver's west side, with many wondering what it means for the future of their neighborhoods. Grace Key reports. Vancouver City Council has approved a new plan for the proposed UBC SkyTrain extension, and that plan could see a station built on the Jericho lands. During the public comment period at Tuesday's council meeting, some expressed concerns about densification and affordability. The density in this is basically metro town by the sea. If we have learned anything about housing in the past two years, it is that density does not mean affordability. High-rise developments are popping up at Surrey and Burnaby transit lines. In Vancouver, single-family homes made way for mid-rise condos along the Canada line with high-rises at intersections. Councillor Colleen Hardwick voted against the plan in favour of more public consultation. Are we intent on building a bunch of high-rises along a subway line or are we interested in having more distributed density across the fabric of the city? It seems to me that the latter would give uh, more livable approach and at much less expense. Well, you can't do transit-oriented development unless you've got transit. And, and, and indeed, the two go together so intimately that it would be kind of unthinkable not to have some uh, effective rapid transit eventually between Arbutus and UBC. How much to build where and how is always a hot debate at the municipal level. But the province has been critical, saying some cities just aren't approving housing fast enough. We do know that there are municipalities with uh, uh, significant transit investments coming, and we need to know that when that transit investment shows up, that the people 
uh, are able to find homes uh, that are affordable and that are in the area of those transit stations. But when it comes to more housing, Abundant Housing Vancouver says the problem can't be solved with transit lines. We should both let people own houses, do more with them, whether that's renting more rooms out, and we should also give them the option if they want to, to build a larger structure or to, to make an addition or yes, to knock it down and put up an apartment building. TransLink will release its own report on the proposed extension later this year. Grace Key, Global News. Vernon City Councillors are pushing back against the province over how it plans to address B.C.'s housing crisis. Last month, B.C. Housing Minister David Eby suggested the province could take over permitting power to fix the problem, arguing that some municipalities aren't approving enough housing in a timely way. In Vernon, politicians refute that, saying they're closer to the ground and know what the city's true housing needs are. The mayor will be writing a letter to the province to request municipalities retain their current powers when it comes to housing. If the province has trouble with one town, they should address that, that town with the tools that are available to them. Um, making a one-size-fits-all policy to address one or two problems in, in one or two towns is uh, simply not appropriate. In a statement today, David Eby says if the province doesn't see its collaborative approach with municipalities showing results, he says we may have to take other measures to ensure we don't move from a housing crisis to a housing disaster. Eby also wants to meet with Vernon's council, saying he hopes to collaborate with them on housing. Well, many Canadians have been given vouchers for trips that were cancelled due to the pandemic. But what happens if you're looking for a voucher extension? Consumer Matters reporter Andrew joins us now with a story and of one man's battle to extend his voucher expiration date for a situation that was way beyond his control. That's right, Chris. Greg Musto said he had simply run out of energy trying to ask for a voucher extension after he was diagnosed with cancer. Between the airline and his financial institution, he couldn't get the matter resolved on his own. It was like just hitting a stone wall over and over again. It seemed like a simple fix, but Greg Musto was about to find out asking for an extension on an airline voucher would be more complicated than he could have ever imagined. I'm not asking for the world here. Greg's frustrations began in July of 2019 when he booked a WestJet flight to Costa Rica using a combination of Visa Rewards points and his Fan City Visa. But his flight was cancelled because of the pandemic, and the Vancouver resident was given a voucher to be used by March of 2022. Last September, Greg was diagnosed with cancer. He was given a surgery date for January 2022, which meant he couldn't travel and his voucher would expire. In my mind, I, I didn't realize how major a surgery this was going to be and the recuperation time that would be needed. In late December of 2021, Greg says he contacted Visa Rewards to request an extension on his voucher. And although he says they were sympathetic to his situation, Visa Rewards said he needed to contact WestJet with his request. Basically, what I was told that day is that um, we don't need to see the letter from your surgeon and why would we extend your voucher? It's nothing to do with us. You have to talk to Visa Rewards. Greg did reach out to Van City Visa Rewards, but he says the response wasn't much better. WestJet, not our problem. Visa Rewards, nothing we can do about it. It's up to WestJet. Greg had had enough. With the surgery coming up, I was very stressed and I just, I didn't have the energy to, to play with these people anymore. I reached out to Consumer Matters because really that was my last option. 
WestJet told Consumer Matters it was unable to extend Greg's credit as it was booked by a third party. And unfortunately, as it was booked by a third party due to contractual obligations, we are not permitted to assist with change cancellation requests on third party bookings. After reaching out to Van City, Consumer Matters received the following response. Our Visa card team has been in contact with WestJet in the past couple of days to advocate for an extension for Mr. Musto, and we're pleased to say they've agreed to extend the credit to April 1st, 2023. I think it's very sad that it, it, you know a person has to go to those lengths to uh, to be heard. As a goodwill gesture, Greg says Van City has also given him 10,000 points. I felt like a, it was Christmas. I called up a couple of friends and said, oh, you won't believe how quickly this happened. Greg says he hopes sharing his story serves as a learning experience for airlines and financial institutions when it comes to customer service. He says he's happy he can move on and is looking forward to his next trip. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, Anne, thank you. Up next, game on for Vancouver soccer fans. With all due respect to Edmonton, you can put your best foot forward, but as minister for this province, I'm going to be defending British Columbians' interests and I'm highly competitive. Why our city could be a major player for World Cup 2026. And staying on course, what you need to know about the Sunrun's new route and why it's changed coming up. Two lanes north and one south over at the Lionsgate Bridge, and for the most part, traffic is moving well, with just a bit of congestion on the Cloverleaf from north and west Vancouver and steady through the Stanley Park Causeway. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Russian forces have launched fresh attacks in two of the areas of Ukraine where just yesterday they promised combat operations would be reduced. Those attacks dim hope that negotiations will lead to a ceasefire and a break in the destruction and death. Aaron MacArthur has the latest. Any promises of a Russian withdrawal around Kyiv quickly broken Wednesday morning. Shelling continued around the capital Wednesday. Ukrainian forces have recaptured the Kyiv suburb of Irpin. But as emergency workers collect the dead, civilians remain huddled under overpasses, waiting to make a dash for safety. In Kyiv, night patrol spotting drones flying over residential neighborhoods. The shelling near Konstant. We'll listen to a huge explosion uh, east of Kyiv and north of Kyiv. According to Ukrainian intelligence, Russians are repositioning away from this area, but towards eastern Ukraine. Russian military leaders suggesting the new strategy in line with their stated goal of liberating the Donbass region. U.S. officials releasing classified documents pointing to Vladimir Putin being lied to by his leadership team about the state of his invasion. The fact that he may not have all the context that he may not fully understand, the degree to which his forces are failing in Ukraine, that's a little discomforting. As the violence continues, the humanitarian crisis continues to swell. Civilians wounded in the attacks, including children. The UN now estimates four million people have fled the country, with more arriving on the borders every day. 
For those left behind, the situation becoming dire. Satellite imagery showing what's left of cities and the lineups for food and water. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, a quick look at the latest COVID-19 numbers for B.C. There are 276 people in hospital. 43 of those patients are in the ICU. Six more people have died from complications of the virus. And we have 291 new confirmed COVID-19 cases in our province. Still to come, basketball sisterhood. The local indigenous team breaking boundaries and heading to a tournament that feels a lot like the Olympics to them. And major incentives to get you into an electric vehicle. And one very important thing that's missing. Critics are raising questions about the federal government's plan to put a lot more electric vehicles on Canada's roads over the next 15 years. As Ted Trenecki reports, just getting an EV continues to be a major hurdle for potential buyers. It's not easy being green. More than half a century ago, Sesame Street's Kermit the Frog first told the world it isn't easy being green. And with climate change, it's still true. It's a very sweet deal to have an electric car. And uh, these electric car owners today are all silently smiling. Because they're not paying $2 a litre, making owners of gas guzzlers green with envy. Worse, EV owners are getting a $100 rebate from ICBC for the high price of gas that they never bought. But just try finding an EV new or used. We first met Greg Morris in February. He's since done what many are doing and has put a refundable deposit on several electric cars. Uh, So basically it's uh, whichever one arrives first is the one I'm going to buy. Then yesterday, the Prime Minister announces even more incentives to go electric, rebates that may apply to more expensive cars and even used ones. And while not everyone agrees with them, rebates do impact manufacturers' suggested retail pricing. Here's an example of incentives pricing before tax for the same car, a Kia EV6 in this case, built in Korea. The base model sells in the States for $52,000 Canadian. In the UK, just under $53,000. Value-added tax not included. Same in Australia, $56,000. But in Canada, that same vehicle is just under $45,000. Just below the threshold where rebates still qualify. Ah, but green can be the color of the money dealerships are making because the cars are so hard to get. Uh, I know that that is a bit of a problem down uh, in bigger centers. I know I've uh, been following in the United States. It's an enormous problem. Uh, Ten to $15,000 over the uh, MSRP of the car is, is not uncommon. Advocates of going green say there's plenty you can and should do while waiting. Condos are your opportunity right now. If you can't buy a car, get your condo or your landlord, your rental apartment landlord to get going on the EV infrastructure. It's going to pay off with dividends in the end. Of the few EVs among the many gas vehicles being offloaded in Westminster, all are pre-sold. And yes, the cost of going green is coming down. BC's reduced the sales tax on the more expensive electrics and eliminated it entirely on used ones. They keep throwing incentives to buy a car you can't buy. Ted Chernacki, Global News. Well, this year's Vancouver Sun Run is being rerouted due to the new Beach Avenue bike lanes. Lane barriers have been installed along that stretch of road, and the ankle-high concrete strip presents a major tripping hazard for a crowd of thousands of runners. As a result, the run will no longer use that stretch of road, and the Stanley Park section 
of the route at its end is also being eliminated. Sunrun organizers say changing the route has been complicated and is not going to be popular with many runners. You've had to make some uh, Sunrun course changes, um, not uh, what we were originally planning for when we came out of the pandemic. Uh, for the first time in my history of 20 years with this event, we uh, won't be running in Stanley Park. Now, it's not just the sun run. The barriers are also forcing route changes to the Vancouver Marathon and Half Marathon. And they're also leading to some safety concerns over the huge crowds at the Pride Parade and Celebration of Light. Some big events coming up. You have to watch where you mm -hmm. step. All right, here we uh, go to check on the weather forecast. We'll bring in Christy now. And what a beautiful spring day out there. Janie even took the covers off the patio furniture. So, like, unofficially. <laughs> so, it's patio here. rosé at your place. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now we have the invite, don't we, Soph? Uh, yeah, it's absolutely that time of year where I think it is time to pull out the patios, even if they get a little rained on here and there. Uh, definitely take use of it when you have a day like today. Here's a quick look. It was gorgeous today, but we did still have a little bit of instability, meaning that we still had a few pockets of showers across the region. Very light, but the clouds were tremendous, as you can see in this time lapse. And look at some of your photos. This one from New Westminster showing Ken, uh, just stunning clouds. And there was a lot of people taking photos of the clouds today because they were so, so beautiful. So pockets of precipitation, slight chance of showers will linger into tomorrow, but the best chance of seeing it will be in northeastern Metro Vancouver. So that's sort of Maple Ridge, Pitt Meadows, and then out through the Fraser Valley as well. Overall, we are going to see a mix of sun and cloud tomorrow. Really pleasant day. So one more sort of real spring-like day on the way for us tomorrow as temperatures climb to near seasonal values and then this next system is going to drive on shore late in the day on friday so we're right back into periods of rain but uh, don't worry there is some sunshine in store for you over the weekend so a mix of sun and cloud with that chance of showers especially across the south coast it'll be towards house sound along the mountains and out through the fraser valley otherwise it's a slight chance bit breezy so a little cooler by the water friday we'll see rain by the afternoon saturday i'm expecting uh, sunshine by the afternoon but sunday monday are look to be the stormiest of the bunch so definitely stay tuned for more details on sunday monday's rainfall tonight's central windows weather window coming to you from steveson look at this little guy picking the blossoms those ones technically are cherry blossoms by the way thank you to heather mckechran for that great shot i knew that because of the split <laughs> in the petal that you told us yes. about we learned That's something right. new all right thanks very much christy well, BC is reversing its earlier stance and now going all in on the bid to host World Cup games. FIFA will decide next week if Vancouver will be added to the list of possible Canadian host cities for 2026. And as Richard Zussman reports, it's in a battle with Edmonton and... It's an electricity around Canadian men's soccer that has never been seen. A trip to the 2022 World Cup now booked. Some focus can shift to 2026. People are working around the clock to make this possible. A dream come true really for fans. A few years ago, the province turned down a chance for Vancouver to host. Edmonton and Toronto were then chosen as options, only for BC to go on the attack and ask to be considered again. With all due respect to Edmonton, you can put your best foot forward, but as minister for this province, I'm going to be defending British Columbians' interests and I'm highly competitive to make sure that 
especially BC Place, just gets the best returns. There are currently 23 cities battling for 16 host city designations. By next week, FIFA will decide if Vancouver will be allowed back in as city number 24. FIFA will then pick just 16 hosts by late April or May. There will be 80 games in the 2026 World Cup. 60 in the U.S., 10 in Mexico, and 10 in Canada. With all respect to a place like Edmonton, where I played and loved playing in front of those fans, Vancouver and Toronto are the cities that absolutely must be on the list for FIFA. Toronto City Hall has done the math, a breakdown that would be similar here. Hosting five games would cost about $290 million, but create $307 million in GDP, as well as 3,300 jobs attracting 174,000 overnight visitors and nearly 300,000 room nights. FIFA and Vancouver have history, the city playing host to the finals of the 2015 Women's World Cup. There are a ton of great things that come with the World Cup. First, you know, it's the biggest sporting event in the world. The eyes that would be on Vancouver would be amazing. Edmonton has set parameters, saying it's only interested in hosting if it gets a minimum of five games, which means with 10 games available, and three cities interested, likely only two will get through. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. I thought Richard was going to try to kick a ball or something there. <laughs> but not, no. I, not that I'm saying he couldn't, but let's <laughs> well, leave that open to net. And Yeah, here, wide open net. And here's why I like Vancouver's chances. Because it looked like it was going to be Edmonton and Toronto. Mm-hmm. It was FIFA that came back to BC and said, are you sure you don't want to get involved in this. So they really came back and wanted Vancouver. So I think Vancouver is mm-hmm. an excellent chance. Well, let's hope. All right. Speaking of Vancouver, uh, it seems just when the Canucks get close to a playoff spot, either they lose or the teams they're chasing win. I've been below the mark before, but I've never had so many teams to catch. That's the biggest thing. I think there's so many teams keep on winning. And that's why the Canucks can't afford to lose to St. Louis twice in a row. Also coming up, a slam dunk fundraiser helping Indigenous basketball players score. Later. Big night at Rogers Arena tonight, uh, Squire. Yes, it is. In fact, um, I'm going to show you this in just a second. This is going to be the Canucks logo in the warm-up tonight before their game with St. Louis. Very cool. Thatcher Demko is going to start in goal for Vancouver, which is beginning a stretch of seven of its next nine games at Rogers Arena. Vancouver is currently four points out of the final wildcard spot, which is now held by Dallas because they won last night against Anaheim. And what's worse, the Stars have three games in hand on the Canucks. It was a good thing Vancouver beat them on that road trip. So all Vancouver can do right now is win its games and hope that those in front of them stumble. We can't worry about anybody else but ourselves. And um, as much as you are scoreboard watching and and uh, and seeing what other teams are doing, I mean, you, you can only focus on what we're going to do and, and winning our game. So, um, is it going to be easy here the last 14 games? Absolutely not. And but I think if there's any team that that can do it, I think it's ours. I mean, we've proven a lot this year, and and the way we fought back and come back uh, so far and, and gave ourselves a chance, I think. You know, we can't count ourselves out. To me, you just have to win your games and not worry about everything. If you win 12 out of 14 or 11 out of 14, you're going to be in. 
So let's just focus on winning today's game, and then I don't care what anybody else does. And then you focus on the next game. If we win that, I don't care what anybody else does. But, I mean, um, so that, that's what it's really all about. We haven't seen Nils Hoaglander play a game in a couple of weeks. He got hurt in practice and is now out with a lower body, body injury, which is likely some sort of groin issue. It looks like actually we might not see him again the rest of the season. I think he's out long term. Yeah. Done for the year? Week for week, week to week right now. I don't know, there's only four weeks, five weeks left in the regular season. So, I mean, uh, uh, it would be hard-pressed right now for me to say he's, he's going to come back before that. But uh, uh, until I get it, see him on the ice, he's out. Look who's in Canada's starting lineup tonight against Panama, Lucas Cavallini of the Whitecaps. Of course, Canada's already qualified, but if they tie or win this game, they will win the qualifying tournament, which should help our rankings. That, that looks a little bit questionable. No foul there on Jonathan David. Anyways, scoreless uh, late in the first half, Canada and Panama. This Saturday, the Whitecaps will return from the international break with a game at home against Sporting Kansas City. That game will kick off at 5 o'clock. Of course, the Whitecaps still haven't won a game this season, and there are a number of reasons for that, including injuries. Their best offensive duo, Ryan Gold and Brian White, both couldn't play in the last game because they were hurt. And the coach isn't entirely sure they can play the full game this week. Yeah, uh, they trained finally. They're with the team, and uh, they will be available for the game. They are, every day they are better. Uh, they won't be 100%, so uh, they won't probably f- be fit to play 90 minutes, but they will be part of the game for sure. Now, Tom Brady came back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers after he retired for just over a month. Bruce Arians, the Buccaneers coach, has now retired. I don't think he's going to change his mind, though. Arians is moving up to the Buccaneers' front office, and assistant Todd Bowles will take over as head coach. He's been a head coach before, both with the Jets and briefly with Miami. Now, I would have to think the Seattle Seahawks are still seriously looking for a veteran quarterback to challenge Drew Locke for the starting job this coming season or just be the obvious number one with Locke as the backup. But Pete Carroll is still saying that Locke is a guy the Seahawks scouts have always liked and he thinks he can turn him around after he fizzled out in Denver. Unfortunately for him, he's, he's, you know, he's been in, in... His play has come about where there's a lot of turnovers in this game. And that just doesn't fit with us. But we just have to fix that. We have, we have to change his mentality and do the things that we can do to help him you know, be his best. There's nothing that we see there that doesn't show us that the potential is there. And so we think we can capitalize on that. And... Uh, you know, there's really, we see, what we're seeing now, we see all upside. I'm still thinking maybe the Seahawks might try to make a trade for Baker Mayfield. Maybe. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yeah, I think that's a safe bet. Thanks, Squire. Up next, a basketball tournament in Prince Rupert. That's a big win for Indigenous players. With all that's going on in the world, sometimes sport is the perfect outlet to escape and find some unity. That's the case with a group of Indigenous women in East Vancouver who are taking their story to the court. Krista Dow explains. On the surface, it is a favourite pastime, a quick scrimmage between friends. But beyond the court, their love of basketball runs much deeper. I think just being Indigenous and wanting to come together was that sisterhood, that 
strong bond that we wanted to connect with. They're part of an all-Indigenous women's basketball team from East Vancouver, ages ranging from the late teens to the early 40s. Player and mentor Jolene Mitten says the All My Relations team was born out of a need for more Indigenous visibility and has grown into something greater. 19 years ago, a lot of things weren't happening here in Vancouver in terms of like Indigenous like visibility and sport or anything. So when we found each other, we kind of really stuck to each other. It's definitely something where I can come to, especially with MMIW and the 215 children and the mass graves that have been going on, like coming to support my team and play alongside them and be able to wrestle through those feelings together. Um, is definitely helpful. The team will be traveling to Prince Rupert to compete in an all-Indigenous basketball tournament. It's the biggest basketball tournament in North America for Indigenous people, so it's kind of like our Olympics. Especially when things are opening up more, it's, it's exciting. It's very exciting. And I'm looking forward to like, the stories that we're going to create. The cost to get there, $15,000 for flights and hotels. COVID meant they had to pivot their fundraising efforts, moving to online GoFundMes and selling clothing and basketballs. They are $100 a ball, but please do note that you can play with them inside, outside. You can put it up. It looks beautiful. The tournament returns Sunday after being cancelled for the past two years. Until then, expect to see some of these passes as they look to pass the time. Krista Dow, Global News. Very cool. Good luck to them in the big tournament. The ball is very cool looking. It is. All right, Christy, we'll give you the final word on weather on this lovely evening. Thanks, Soph. So, yes, enjoy the evening. We do have more sunshine on the way for us tomorrow. A slight chance of showers through the Fraser Valley, northeastern metro Vancouver, but another great day on the way before the rain returns late in the day on Friday. Oh, boy. All right. Thanks very much, Christy, and thanks for watching, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night, all.